Welcome to the Real Freedom Podcast, where we inspire you to pursue your passion to gain time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. I'm your host, Mike Swenson. Let's get some real freedom together. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Real Freedom Podcast, where we're talking about building wealth and creating time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. And today I've got Case Nockenauer here, and he is a great example of this. You've, you've built and grown a business to the point where you and your family can go travel this fall. I and mean, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but flipping 60 homes a year, you've acquired 120 rental properties. And since then you've, you've enjoyed the freedom here, which I love in your bio. It says, since the pandemic, pandemic, you've purchased a commercial airplane fuselage, a 42-foot school bus, an ambulance, imported $900,000 in classic Land Rover Defenders, and purchased 14 cubic yards of winter beanies. People that don't have time and financial freedom can't do that kind of stuff. And so we're excited to hear why you're doing that, how you're doing that, and how you built and grew your, your business to have that freedom. So welcome, Case. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Share about your background, getting into real estate, how you've built and grown your team. You're very purposeful in how you've done it. Yeah. So I I didn't know I'd be in real estate seven years ago, eight years ago now. So I, I 2016 uh, accidentally became a real estate agent when I was telling a friend of mine to to go be a real estate agent. We was trying to figure out what he was doing with his life mm-hmm. and he didn't do it. So I did it. And uh, here I am. So it's been uh, 2016 was sort of a disastrous year for me. I did a lot more education than I did prospecting. And so I, I, I believe I sold three homes my first year, uh, kicked it in gear. And we ended up, I think sold 40 or 42 or something like that. And um, I'm like, oh, this is great, but I was working too hard. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll start a team. And then I had a real estate team. And a year later, we opened a brokerage. And that was the year I realized, like, I don't like being a team leader. Um, it was... Mm-hmm. I found out that the profits were just, it was challenging. Um, I was trying to do everything myself. Uh, we grew and I met, probably wasn't as selective in terms of my hiring as I should have been, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was just, uh, it was a lot of growth very quickly and it was fun, but it was also extremely stressful. And I did taxes, uh, you know, in April or May or whatever it was. And I, I looked at both my income um, and I, I made more money flipping houses. And I think I sold like four flips that year than I did in my flip business, or I'm sorry, my real estate team. And I'm like, oh, yikes, mm-hmm. I'm, I need to figure something out. So I happened to read a book, uh, 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall. Very good book. And he talks about how like, you know, 20% of the efforts give you 80% of the profit, but it's also fractal. So, you know, if the 5% of the 5%, or 20% of the 20% gets you 5%, which makes 50% of the results come from just 5% of the effort. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing the math. And I'm like, holy cow, like that's, that's like perfectly accurate. You know, 5% of my effort gave me half my profit. So we rapidly changed. Um, I brought on one of my agents partner um, and he's now the integrator in my business. But since 2000, late 18, we've been really focusing on flipping. So I don't list my own houses anymore. Um, we hired, uh, we have a broker, uh, two real estate agents that work for us. And we have, uh, we outsource all our listings to a third party team. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's our, sort of how our team has changed and modified. And, and, you know, the idea that's purposeful, I didn't know I'd be here, um, but we've definitely purposely been changing our business to meet our lifestyle and 
you know, I didn't know I'd, I'd be here. And I, I, I kind of know what next year and the year after looks like, but, you know, people talk about three and five year vision. And that's a, that's a challenging thing for me to really know where I'm even going to be in, in three to five years. So talk about, you know, as we dig in, how are you starting by finding the properties that you're going to work on? I know so many people always have questions. It's how do I get started? How do I get started? How do I get started? So where were you finding those first initial deals? And then as you grew the flip business, how did you find the crews and all that to be able to do the properties to where now you have a, a scalable flipping business? So I found mine accidentally, uh, my first few. Um, and so you so got I'm, into real estate accidentally and you yeah, found your first flip back. Yeah. It's just the stars are aligning for you. Yeah, no, it was, you know, I, I listed a house, um, I think it was a for sale by owner and mm-hmm. it, it was just, it was in rough condition. It needed a new septic system, a new well, and she was on the market long enough. She got sick and tired of it. And she's like, oh, I just want to sell this thing. And so she mm-hmm. started naming numbers. I'm like, well, maybe pay that. And so I, I bought it and, uh, and that was my first flip. Um, but so that was on accident, but let's talk about today. Um, so we do everything. People ask me a lot, like what's the right form of marketing and Mike and case, you know, our, our form of marketing might be different and it's okay. And so a lot of it comes down to, you know, really two things and it's, do you have more time or do you have more money? And, mm-hmm. and we balance, um, in, I guess in, we'll back up a little bit and talk about a funnel. So, you know, marketing funnels in any um, any industry, the the cheaper the lead, the higher in the funnel they are. And the more expensive the lead, typically, the lower in the funnel they are. And so when it comes to like, you know, real estate team, if you guys are looking for buyer leads, you know, Facebook ads might be a great way to get really cheap $3 Facebook leads. And, and you know, you have to get, I get 200 of them to get a, con- to get a contract or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but a really intentional um, seller would be like perhaps a Google PPC on like best agent in Minneapolis or something like that, right? So that's somebody that's going to be a lot lower down the list yep. in terms of, um, of, of of moving forward. So when it comes to like, how do I get started? The first thing I'd look at is like, are you broke? Do you have money? Um, do you have any knowledge? That's a big thing. Um, and then what sort of time do you have? Because there's a lot of ways to find deals for free. Um I mean, I'll give you an example. We bought 14 houses off the MLS this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we as an agent have no more ability to find homes on the market than any Joe Schmo with no real estate license because it's all it's all on it's all online. It's available on Zillow and realtor.com and everything I see you guys can see. So we got yeah, 14 houses and, and most people are like, no, nah, it's impossible. Uh, but our average profit that's actually a lot of our investor deals too have come from the MLS. Yeah. 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 I think we, yeah, we flipped like 14 houses and I think we acquired 30 rental units or something last year, you know, a bunch Mm -hmm. of small multis, but yeah, MLS deals are, you know, often not a a slam dunk, but you you can get good deals. We made, I think we had a $70,000 flip in Kalamazoo last year off of an MLS purchase. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was a $220,000 house that we bought it for. So it was like the margins were great. And we, it was our, I think our most profitable flip last year was an MLS deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're, they're everywhere. And, and, you know, what marketing source I, you can't really answer. Um, Cause if you got no time, I'm going to tell you something else. And if you have no money, you know, there, there's a, there's lots of lead, free lead sources out there. Yeah. So, okay. So then as you guys were developing your 
rental business, how are you deciding what are you looking to just flip and sell? And how are you deciding what to keep? Now, are your rental properties that you're keeping, is this just you and your family or do you have partners on certain deals or is it kind of a, a hodgepodge mix? Or Yeah, it's a, hodge, it's a hodgepodge mix. So um, my partner, Tyler, who's the integrator in my flipping business, uh, he and I own, I don't know, 30, 40 rental units together, something like that. And then my mm-hmm. wife and I own the other uh, 60 some. In terms of making a decision, some of it comes down to what type of money we have. So if we don't have the money available to to purchase a rental at this point in time, you know, sometimes I need to have the cash. So we'll sell it as a flip when I meant to buy it as a rental. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's down to a 1031. I, I'm closing two properties a week from today. And we're doing that on a 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have bought one of them as a as a as a rental for sure, but to meet the guidance and requirements of a 1031, I have to use it as a rental. So I'm going to use it as a rental for a little bit. And it's going to, you know, the numbers don't cash flow as well as I'd hope, but I'm tying up a lot of equity and I can avoid the capital gains on that. So it works. Um, So sometimes it's taxable benefits. Um, We also, you know, now that we're to, um, I think we've sold some, so we're, we're down to, I think, 95 units at this point. But some of it's just yeah, cash cash availability. But I also balance our purchases because um, we do cost segregation studies on the purchases we make to offset our income. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it's like how much have we bought this year to offset our flip income? Um, and so yeah, it's just a, a number of variables. But you know, in general, uh, we we sort of aim for at least the one. 0.2 or 1.4 percent rule, um, you know. So some people look at like one or two percent rule. Um, so that's kind of our numbers. If it's not going to be at, if the rent is 1.2 or maybe 1.4 percent of the purchase price, that may make a good rental, um, just in general for us. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of a lot of places around the United States can't even blink to, or can't even find a one percenter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 1.2 to 1.4. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and we get you know, we get a handful at you know class you know, solid class C's at two, 2% or something like that, but they're rough. And I've unfortunately found that, you know, when you underwrite a property like that, you never get the returns you expect. I, I bought a 24 unit apartment complex class C and I'm, my goal is to turn it into a class B, but I, I expected like 50% payment. Mm-hmm. So 24 units. And I thought 50% of them would pay me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's really pessimistic. There's no way it's under that. My first month, I got three rent payments. Out of 24 units. <laughs> out of 24 units. And, yeah. and yeah, it turned out the seller was like criminal and absolutely a slumlord. So I, I feel really good about improving the neighborhood. But, um, you know, unfortunately, when you buy these properties that can be very lucrative, often you have a lot of those much larger problems that you didn't calculate for. You know, I think somebody that is outside looking in, looking to get into real estate, looking to get into investing is like, oh, here's here's this guy that's got this great portfolio. He's got some time freedom. Oh, everything like the stars have just aligned for you. And that's how you're able to make that happen. Well, he, here's a great example of, yeah, not not every deal is a slam dunk. You're going to have to overcome challenges. And yeah, when when it turns out you get 12% people paying rent in a month, that, <laughs> oh, yeah. you got you to gotta figure that out. So yeah, yeah so you haven't had anything just kind of handed to you or just all that, like I said, all that luck is kind of lined up. You've had to overcome some challenges. Yeah. We, I mean, we started from scratch. We, our first rental we bought, we paid cash for, which sounds like, oh, well, you're lucky. Um, but we did it by creating a home equity line of credit. Uh, we bought our house um, off of a teacher's salary. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we opened a HELOC on the property and used that to buy a eighty-two dollars or $84,000 duplex. Uh, we then cash out refied it. So we did a burr on that home. And mm-hmm. that was our first burr property. I think we've done 30 cash outs. You know, at this point, we everything we're doing is DSCR, um, yep. you know, debt now. So we don't qualify. Um, I, I I don't qualify for mortgages, which is I, I laugh at. It's all portfolio refinances. So right now I think we're refinancing seven or eight properties that we own cash and we're just pulling our money out and recycling it to other ones. So most of the properties we buy are value add. Um, I don't mm-hmm. buy anything turnkey. So I go buy a property that, you know, let's call it a hundred grand. And in fact, I'll give you a real example. I'm buying a duplex for $120,000 on Friday and we'll be putting probably 60 into it. So we'll have 180 into it. My A or V on it should be somewhere between 250 and 300 when I'm done mm-hmm. with it. So I expect to cash out refi that in you know November or December. So about three months from now. And my goal is to get all of my money back plus a little bit more. Now, what's cool though, is this is a 1031. So I'm going to buy it with cash, ref, uh, rehab the uh, property, rent it out, refinance. And now I'm going to get all of my uh, refinance money tax-free and all I did is replace it. So like the great thing is, you know, refinances are non-taxable events. So it's, it's uh, um, the burr, burr process is just really, really a miracle sort of. So two questions here that my, my first question is you had talked about doing, doing some deals with your peer, your work partner here. What advice do you have or what, what was your logic around that? We have this conversation. My mindset typically has been you know, with my teammates, I want to try to grow the, we always talk about growing the pie together. Let's focus yep. on growing the pie together. Some people are saying, well, why would I give up a certain percentage or something like that? What was the conversation you guys had when it came to doing a deal together? And, you know, there's a lot of horror stories about having partners and not working out. Obviously yours is working out well. So talk about that dynamic a little bit and the, the decision-making and the thought process around it. Yeah. So in our flip business, most of the time, Tyler's final decision. So I'm, although I'm the majority owner of the company, because he's the integrator and he's involved in the, the small details of the company, 95 times out of 100, I say, oh, you know, I think you're going to be the person to make this decision. And as the visionary, it's sort of been up to me to like rein him in and not have him be so overly detailed that we track like everything, right? So, <laughs> so that's been really important. And I think the same thing's true is you know we we know who's in charge of making decisions in the flip business. And so in our business, we know like, okay, Case ultimately can say, Tyler, stop doing that. Um, and so what we did when we decided to start investing together is I turned the tables and although we're 50-50 partners in our operating agreement, he's the deciding factor. So I did that because I didn't want to be the boss who owned the property and could decide when to buy or sell. And so I'm I'm probably a year and a half to two years in front of Tyler in in our investment um, sort of path, mm-hmm. and so I wanted him to be able to sort of choose what those assets look like. Are we buying value add properties? Are we buying small multis? Are we turning our small things into apartment complexes or triple net investments? Mm-hmm. So the idea was to sort of have him drive that portfolio, and but it's hard though, right? Because when you're when you're friends with your partner mm-hmm. and your partner is either in front of you or behind you. Sometimes you do investment things that you otherwise wouldn't have done. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the key I think is making sure that there is a decision maker all the time, never do a 50, 50 partner. If it's a third, a third, a third, I don't care what the ownership structure is, make sure that there's one person as the dictator. 
Um, and so for me, I didn't want to be the dictator. Um, so mm-hmm. Tyler, uh, Tyler's in charge and can sell without my permission. So <laughs> partnerships are great. They they are the rewarding. Um, in our in our flip business, um, we scaled because we brought on a, another investor that funded our flips, and in exchange, we gave him a percentage of the profit. Um, we were able to go from you know X to three X because of that. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, partnerships have have been key to uh, the growth and success that we've seen. Yeah, because like I I'm a very small part of the picture when it comes to the business that we run. The follow up question, and then I'll get to my second question. Uh, yeah. Follow up question on that is. How are you deciding what properties are going to be for you and your wife and your family and which ones are going to be apart with your partner? <clears throat> my my wife and I are, are really trying to focus on apartment complexes um, at this point. And uh, we'd like to start moving our funds into triple net assets. So mm-hmm. it's very rare that we go buy a duplex. Um, so right at this point, we've got um, our two entities, a very different focus. So it's very clear who falls under who. Yep. Um, I bought a, a duplex and a single family as part of this 1031, but it's more of a weird tax circumstance than anything. Um, they were just small properties and I, I I couldn't elect something else. So I just picked the wrong asset, um, mm-hmm. which I don't really want, but it works okay. Um, we also do compensate. So because our flip company generates these leads, when I buy a property or um, my partner and I buy a property, we're paying our flip company compensation through either a commission or a wholesale fee. So we make sure that each entity is sort of separate. So if I buy something, mm-hmm. the flip company still earns from the um, the acquisition. So then as you guys are doing all the work on the homes, is it your, you have internal crews or you have folks that you've partnered with, you know, vendors that are doing a lot of the work? How are you deciding who's doing the work? Yeah, we've got nine construction crews across most of the West half of Michigan. And um, they're sort of all geographically uh, centered in Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Muskegon, or Holland. And Mm -hmm. so most of them are willing to travel about 45 minutes. And so we're able to use those crews to to coordinate our turns. So those nine crews are constantly turning properties. So Uh, these are crews that your your company owns and pays them out of, or are they their own company? That's correct. Yeah. They're 1099 contractors. So I can pay them either as a individual or as a 1099 contractor, you know, as a, as a company. Uh, But yeah, they're, so it's not like your real estate company hires them as W2 employees. Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 1099 contractors, not W2. So we thought about hiring like a a 10 or a W2 handyman so that Mm -hmm. we can move him around and sort of wrap up jobs uh, because we can be a little more selective with movement um, cause like I, I have to call a contractor and ask him if he wants the job, um, mm-hmm. right. I say, Hey, I got a job. It's, it's a little further than I got a contractor that's traveling an hour and 20 minutes right now, which they don't like. Right. So I have yeah. to be super nice to him because if they drive that far two flips in a row, they're going to be pissed. They're going to stop working with me. So mm-hmm. everything's about making sure that's a win-win relationship. So I, you know, I talk to the contractors two to three times a week at, at minimum. And uh, I've actually, I don't think it takes that long to manage crews. We thought about hiring somebody, uh, mm-hmm. but we use a program called company cam so that our contractors take pictures and we can see the status and where things are. But yeah, that's sort of what the the construction teams look like anyway. Talk about the evolution here as you went from kind of agent to team to brokerage. That seems to be a path that a lot of folks as they get into real estate take. 
It's a terrible um, talk, path. I know. Talk, <laughs> don't don't you, take that path. <laughs> you mentioned about the broker piece. So I'd love to just kind of hear hear a little bit about that experience for you and the decision making and the thought behind it. And yeah, what what was what ended up going wrong on that path there? I think the path I took was because that's what people did, not because I was thinking, right? So yep. when I went from I was a very profitable individual agent, very profitable, like zero expenses, because all I did was call FISBOs and expires. So like mm-hmm. my my running cost was like you know, two hundred dollars a month of technology. It was like, it was crazy. I'd love to have two hundred dollars a month now of expenses. Yeah. And my growth to team was like, okay, well, that's the next step, right? I hire an assistant and I hire this, and like that's what's known in the real estate industry. Industry. Then I'd been an agent for three years, and I'm like, oh, I'm paying like so much money to this brokerage, and they also don't like the team because when you when you disrupt an industry for the good or the bad you piss people off. Yep. And so I was tired of, of, of people complaining, to be honest. So I'm like, all right, well, I mean, I'll just go get my own office. But they told me I couldn't unless I was my own brokerage. So I'm like, all right, whatever, I'll do that. So we opened a brokerage and it was, we actually brought in a, a national franchise, a low cost, you know, fixed per, per transaction fee. And that was my disaster. They're a good brokerage. I think I was the right, I was the wrong person in the right seat, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, yeah, it, I just found it to be a big expensive mistake. And I think a lot of people think like this is the next step in real estate, but they're always thinking going forward, but sometimes we need to turn. And so the the facing like, okay, I'm going to start acquiring properties and I'm going to start like, like I bought sort of a couple as a real estate agent, but it was more like it was my investment, not my job. And so I realized like, oh man, I could, I could do this full time. And the realization that like, okay, and I work really hard to make a hundred grand or 150 grand. Like I work my tail off as an agent, but I can go buy three flips and I can make $30,000. And that's not very hard work. And so Mm -hmm. I just kind of realized like, wow, this is, there's less friction. There's less competition. It's higher risk, but you also bring in partners to help absorb that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of the, the path that I took. Um, but I also had the experience as a real estate agent to know what a team looked like. So without having run a disastrous brokerage, I would not have been able to grow the flipping team that I have now um, because it oddly looks extremely similar. We have we have a transaction coordinator. I have our contractors, of course. We've got four virtual assistants from the Philippines um, that are run part of our sales team. And then we have two local um, my partner is one of our sales guys, and then he has an assistant. And so, yeah, they run our whole sales department. And so, amazingly, like you know, we run we run a, like extremely similar to a small three or four person real estate team. Yeah. And and kind of along that note, you know, we we had talked offline about kind of this this visionary integrator type role and and the importance of that and and how that works well. So, talk about now that you kind of mentioned the team here, talk about just your thoughts on hiring. Mm-hmm building people, helping train them. And also too, like you seem to have a good sense of knowing to get the heck out of the way and let other people do what they're supposed to do, you know? And so I'd love to just kind of hear you chat about your team a little bit. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. Tyler, Tyler, I think sometimes thinks I go a little, <laughs> I go, I'm a little too involved. I disappeared for a week and the team had more contracts than when we started and more properties under contract and more money. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I need to go on vacation more often. Mm-hmm. So I've learned that like with employees that they're going to do it differently and difference. Okay. And they're often better at it than you are. Mm-hmm. And, and just cause it's different doesn't matter, but in general, 
Uh, the mistakes I've made is I've tried to hire the cheapest employee that can do the job, but it's a lot better to way overpay your employees and offer massive flexibility uh, in terms of vacation, in terms of pay, in terms of investments. So like we are actively creating an investment platform for our employees, um, mm-hmm. everything from my partner to our you know lowest paid Filipino employee. We want them to have the ability to invest at a rate that they're expecting and make it competitive and then also invite them in to share with the profit share. So that's been really important. Part of it is have them uh, like an employee owned portion of the company. So we, for the most part, I think all of our employees have some sort of profit share um, that are involved. Um, Actually, everybody locally is our Filipino staff are bonus, but there's not a, it's not a written part of their contract. Yeah. Partnerships though, I, uh, Tyler and I sort of run together. Um, and it, as best as I can explain, I sort of make a big mess in front of him and he sort of picks up the pieces and and makes it really understandable for the team behind me. And, and I'd say that's a, a pretty easy picture of what our relationship looks like. That's actually an analogy that I use a lot when talking about kind of that visionary integrator type role is, you know, it's, it's that balance that makes things working well. And I, I was actually just listening to a podcast and they said, you know, if you, if you hire two of the same people, you really don't need one of them. And so what what you need is that different dynamic. You need the kind of the yin yang type mentality where it's this person completes me because my strengths are over here, their strengths are over here, and we really enhance each other. Um, And, you know, kind of that one plus one equals three type mentality. Yeah. And like, you know, we use the the disc profile. um, Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes you'll see like people want to hire the same disc as they are but it's a very bad idea, you know, hire somebody that's the absolute opposite. Um, so if you're a high D, high C, hire an IS uh, because you need the sales guy um, or somebody that understands people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's the, uh, that's the interesting thing. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, that's why husband and wives are often so different when one is strong, the other's weak. And the same thing's true in a business partnership. Okay. So, so talk a little bit about the future here. I'd love to hear where you see this going and then let's talk about your trip, you know, being able to, you know, we want, we talk about the time and financial freedom through the opportunities here in real estate. So talk about how, what you've worked on over these last few years have allowed you to to do what you're going to do here this, this upcoming fall into the winter. Yeah. The last four years I've worked a lot, you know, I, um, and for me, I've worked a lot. So I, I'm in my mind, 45 or 50 hours a week is, is like a terminal point that I I'm no longer productive mm-hmm. and I enjoy working but I also have a two and a half and a four and a half year old at this point. And they, they're only getting older and we're not having any more children. So it's important that I spend some time and, you know, take time with them and be purposeful with it. So I've adjusted my schedule and I'm I'm breaking the rules a little bit right now. Uh, But I work, my goal is between 5 AM and 9 AM on a daily basis. And then between one and three. Um, So I'd actually like to get my afternoons down to a whole hour, uh, which would be fantastic. And so that's the that's the new schedule that I've set. You know, when I, I do that six days a week, and I found that I'm able to be almost as productive um, as when I when I work full time. And then I'm I'm present and 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 there for my wife and my kids. Uh, so that's been the new goal as of the last few weeks, which is very exciting. So that's in preparation for a road trip uh, in a Toyota Tacoma with a little slide in Campa and Alucab Kaya, which is pretty sweet. Uh, so yeah, we, the four of us and our dog are going to go and we're going to travel for two and a half months uh, straight. And then also a couple small uh, week or two week trips between the spring and the fall. 
So that's sort of my personal side. But yeah, the, the whole design of the business at this point has been creating a life and, and, and not having so many people report to me that I have to answer my phone constantly. And that's what I realized as a team leader is people want to talk to Case, right? It was all the time. And like owners pissed, sellers pissed, buyers agents upset, talk to Case, like the team leader. And so by by turning our company into a company, nobody knows who Case is. And so mm-hmm. everybody handles the problems on their own. And then when something really bad happens, most of the time it can wait till our Tuesday meeting. And so we run through an EOS program, uh, which we started about 12 months ago. And so most of the time our problem solving is on Tuesday and almost everything can wait till the next day now, which is very exciting. I, I can turn my phone off at four o'clock and I almost never have missed calls the next day, which I can't, I mean, that would never have happened three or four years ago. So mm-hmm. moving forward though, I think our team's going to continue doing what it's doing. I think growing in the number of flips is probably unreasonable um, mm-hmm. without really changing the structure of our team. So we'll probably just look at larger acquisitions. Um, you know, what's it, what's it look like to flip an apartment complex? Uh, what's mm-hmm. it look like to, you know, move to larger industrial assets? And so I, I think our team as it sits probably won't change in a significant manner, maybe one, possibly two more hires. But, you know, as it stands, we have a sales manager, an operations manager, and then they sort of all have three, three or four people underneath them. So they've at this point really handled the team very nicely. Yeah, it seems to be a natural progression in terms of you know the the smaller stuff to the bigger stuff. Um, just the economies of scale, kind of doing the same amount of work, and it's just more units and and a little bit of diversity too. You know, when you've got a a duplex and there's you know somebody that's not paying rent or a problem, that's fifty percent of your your cash flow. If you've got a ten unit or a twenty unit or more, there's a little bit more diversification that happens there. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. If, if people want to get a hold of you or kind of learn more about you, where can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. My wife runs our Instagram page and it's nothing but family pictures on our, on our overland trip. So it's a overland investor or at overland investor or something like that. Um, and then if you do want to talk about investing with us, we have partners that come on and uh, invest with us and can earn either profit share or interest and uh, you're able to do that at um, overlandinvestor.com. Awesome. So, well, thank you easy. so much, Case, for coming on and appreciate it. And you've got a, an awesome story to share and just a, a, a great way of being efficient with your time. I think, you know, so many people try to do so many things and, and you've followed a, a logical process and built and grown nicely for you. So congratulations on that and best of luck to you guys in the future. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure.